Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent, and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. Hi, everyone, and a very warm welcome to a special episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today, Catch Up or Leap Forward, Technology as a Catalyst for Shared Value, a topic I think has never been more timely as we reflect post COP26 and look ahead into 2022 and what our priorities and value really looks like. In this discussion, we'll look to make the invisible visible, especially in regards to infrastructure as an enabler for bridging the digital divide, embedding sustainability by design and addressing trust challenges too, such as with baked in security. And to dive into this critical topic, I'm joined by two amazing guests from ATEM, a market leader in delivering business critical applications for multi-cloud transformation and 5G readiness, and with a superb track record of supporting tech as a force for global good. I love that. And for a special episode, it's a special format too. Firstly, I'm joined by Chris James Killer, who is VP Global Strategic Accounts at ATEM, for a quick fire discussion on all the key issues, opportunities, and actions related to our theme. And then I'm joined by Terry Young, Director, Service Provider, Product Marketing at A10 for a deeper dive discussion. So it's a really bumper episode today. So firstly, a very warm welcome to you, Chris. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here. Oh, likewise, thank you. I'd love to hear about your role at A10 and how you got here. Yeah, thanks, Sally. It's been um, quite a journey. Um, you know, most people can probably tell from the accent that I'm Australian and I uh, left Australia probably six, seven years ago um, and went to Sweden to work. Interestingly, you know, Sweden being at the forefront of many environmental initiatives, and so it was it was great to be there. Worked there for three, three and a half years, and then found myself back here in the UK. I actually am a UK citizen, but I've never lived here. So been at A10 now for the last uh, 12 months, um, living here in the UK. Brilliant stuff. And I'd love to hear more as well, you know, our focus on tech for good today. Have you got any great customer examples you can share about tech for good personified? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, in my role, I get visibility to and, and see lots of good uh, interactions between, you know, my alliance partners um, and my customers um, globally. And so I've got, I've got quite a few, actually, and, and from all aspects of the world in, in lots of different ways. And so, you know, even, even quite small service providers that I see uh, in the US, and so there's a regional service provider that spans across Ohio and Virginia, uh, in North America, that you know, during the pandemic, and obviously recognizing the amount of time people were were spending at home, saw that there was a real need for some students who, who may not have had the ability to pay for extra bandwidth. They provided free internet for students that were in their in their location. So that was sort of one nice tech for good example. I think secondly, you know, I would probably put this in the category of pay it forward. You know, there's a service provider in Australia called Optus that would, if there was unused data, you know, it seems quite a strange concept, but if, if you got to the end of your month and you hadn't used your X number of gigabits, then they would provide that to you know, an individual or a family that probably needed that more than obviously the person that had this unused data. So that, that would be another example I've seen. And then um, sort of more global initiatives by one of 18 Strong Alliance Partners Ericsson, you know, who work with UNICEF. And I think both of these organizations are near and dear to your heart, Sally. And, and Ericsson and UNICEF are working across Africa to identify the connectivity gaps. And they have a goal that, you know, every young person will have access to information 
and connections. And if you go check this sort of status online of this Ericsson UNICEF project, you can see live, you know, how many of the 6 million schools um, actually have been connected. And the last time I checked, it was it was just over a million of 6 million. So it's, you know, it's quite a fantastic global initiative. And then sort of nearer to, to where we are, um, Project Gigabit, which I know you know a lot about, you know, where the UK government is providing vouchers to make sure that people can access the internet, whether it be not just in their home or their small business, but in doctor surgeries or libraries um, in and around the UK. So I think there are a few examples that I'd, I'd probably point to. I love those absolutely global examples there, you know, from education to pay it forward to Project Gigabit. And you're absolutely right. Things like Connect to Learn and the partnership between Ericsson and UNICEF, the power of partnership to the fore, I would say. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you for sharing those, Chris. That's really, really great and really tangible, which is what it's all about, showing real projects really in action. That's superb. And moving on from that, I'd also like to dive in a little bit deeper about collaboration. I think it's so, so important. Probably one of the biggest learning points, actually, from the pandemic is the power of what we can achieve if we co-create, if we come together to make a difference. What are you seeing in terms of strong leadership, in terms of collaboration in the ecosystem at the moment? Yeah, I, I think the first thing I'd say is that I think most of us have recognised that this isn't going to be possible um, alone. I think that the very nature of the COP26 conference and you know it's been running for a long time but I think as it's built momentum and got stronger and stronger and and of course this year I think I would have to say probably one of its strongest years ever you do see the growing participation by you know governments by business both small and large and and global organizations and and I think the key here for me is that I think most of us have recognized that you know none of us are in this alone but equally we can't rely on everybody else to solve the problem. And so it, by its very definition, is something that requires an ecosystem or a collaboration as, a, as an issue to solve. You know, I, I think that the Project Gigabit example I gave before is, a, is another way that you can see multiple organisations coming together for in what you would say is that greater good or tech for good. There's a similar, similar kind of mechanism in the US, the Connect America Fund, which... It has been set up for fixed wireless access into areas which may not have had it. And also Ceasefire, which is, and the Rural Broadband Consortium. You know, I think, you know, and we've talked about this before, Sally, previously, I think the other aspect that's been recognised recently is that it's some of those communities which, you know, have and do need technology most have been a little left behind, both environmentally, but also from a connectivity perspective. And they're the areas we're trying to fix. Absolutely, Chris. And again, just drawing on a previous chat we've had, actually, if we do this in the right way, if we come together and collaborate, this isn't just a catch-up opportunity around technology. It's a leapfrog one as well. So brilliant examples there. Thank you so much for bringing those to the fore. And finally, we come back to this conversation in year time. Where do you think we'll have achieved? What difference can we have made for global tech for good? Yeah, look, I think it's um, there's been lots of good sound bites the last couple of weeks. But, you know, really, it's is stand up, take notice and do something. You know, I, I think it's incumbent on all of us, you know, even in the smallest possible ways and, and what individuals might think are potentially small decisions for their families. But I would like to see more companies, you know, jump on board. I, I do know that in the A10 ecosystem, we're being asked by our strong alliance partners to reflect on everyone we have in our supply chain uh, because we're being asked by people that use us in their supply chain to make sure that we've signed up to things like the Paris Agreement and the 1.5 degree initiative. And so, 
I think for me, what I'd like to see is greater responsibility and participation taken by and many more businesses to get on board to see what we've all been really aspiring to recently, which is technology for good. Wonderful. And for me, it kind of three pillars came to the fore when you were speaking there. You know, as we advance these things, it's transparency, it's commitment, but it's also accountability at the same time. Brilliant stuff, Chris. Thank you. And thank you, Chris, so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ali. Appreciate it. Anytime. And now it's my pleasure to be joined by Terry Young, Director, Service Provider, Product Marketing at A10. Welcome, Terry. Hi, thanks, Sally. Yeah, so I'm director of uh, service provider product marketing at A10 Networks. So I have global responsibility for creating messaging, creating content, and just generally being kind of an industry expert in what's happening in the service provider space. So that includes creating a lot of content, doing being a spokesperson, you know, podcasts and different webinars, uh, what have you. Of course, talking about the industry issues and showing how our products can help uh, service providers in their, in their transformation and in trying to bridge the digital divide. I have been in telecom a long time, more years than I care to admit to. And like kind of, I think most important personal decisions that kind of happened by accident, you know, where I knew nothing about telecom and someone said to me, hey, you know, the local phone company's hiring. So I kind of checked it out and here I am today. So uh, I've worked for service providers. I've worked for research companies and now worked for the last, no, I don't know, 10 years or so in Silicon Valley for different vendors that, that supply solutions. to the service provider industry. So been involved in telecom, mobile, fix, you name it, for a long time. So that's been been for most of my professional career. I live in California and I live in the Silicon, San Francisco Bay Area. I have family and a son and all that normal stuff here. And I've been working from home for the last, you know, almost two years now due to the pandemic. Fantastic. What a great part of the world to be in. I'm excited to be traveling that way in a few weeks time, actually as we're transitioning back to, you know, international travel again. So I'm super excited to be doing that. Maybe we can meet up for a proper coffee in person. That would be brilliant. That would be wonderful. The weather's beautiful here. I love it here. I love it. And kind of coming back to the main sort of topic area of what we're going to be talking about today, this kind of vision of creating shared value and not just catching up, but leaping forward with tech as this conduit for change. I'd love to kind of drill down on tech for good. You know, we hear this term a lot, but what does that mean for you personally? I think technology can be used in a lot of small ways, both in personal ways as well as to really make some massive changes in society. I mean, you look at how much tech has changed. The introduction of the smartphone, the introduction, the high adoption of mobile has changed so many patterns and so many things that we do. And over the last, you know, couple of years, I mean, just just trying to find ways to help people, you know, integrate with technology that maybe haven't done that in the past. I mean, in my own life, that includes helping people that uh, in my church, for example, to, to learn how to use uh, Zoom and other technology to help my family to get on regular calls and, and people that just are kind of technology averse. And so really is has an opportunity to bring people together and to provide more options for, for solving some, some greater social problems that the world has. Fantastic. What lovely examples. I, th- I think it's great. You know, getting to know the person behind the technology, as I like to call it, I think makes such a difference and it makes it relatable, doesn't it? I think there's such accessible examples there of, of tech as a force for good. It's all about that purpose, isn't it? You know, how you apply it at the end of the day. I think that's fantastic. 
related to that as well, I often think about when we talk about technology, there are some aspects that are really on the surface. You know, we see them, we feel them, they're there every day and we know about them. But actually, there's so much that's going on beneath the surface, particularly when it comes to infrastructure. Um, And I'd love to, as part of this session, you know, look at how we can make that invisible visible, that critical role and how this part of technology can be an enabler too, particularly for that kind of shared value for business and society. So perhaps we could drill straight into that, really, and look at what's influencing and or making really core network infrastructure such a critical issue today to help achieve that, that enablement factor. And maybe also what the key challenges, but also the opportunities around that are too. Sure. What hits the papers in the, the visible uh, media, what everybody hears about and reads about is uh, when, when service providers know launch markets, they have new initiatives that affect specific communities. So that's kind of like the last end of an evolution of technology that usually happened, you know, a couple of years before that. I mean, and when the mobile industry introduced 5G, for example, what we in the public would read about would be, you know, when they launch specific markets. But re- in reality, They've been upgrading their networks for like two years before that with plans, you know, to make that migration. So there's many things within the core network that also have to change as you do things like expand access, you know, to unserved or underserved communities. The core network has to also support that. So all those kinds of capabilities should happen in tandem or and need to be planned really ahead of that. So there's a lot of things that happen, like you said, behind the scenes. Um that's not really that visible to people in the public. And with looking at just trying to bridge the digital divide and the different initiatives that are expanding a fiber connectivity to underserved or unserved communities, you know, things that you know we get involved with have to do with not only just augmenting the capacity within the core network, but also trying to to make sure that, that all the capabilities, you know, end to end, you know, provide the needs of the users not only today, but what they may be needing in the future. Because I think a lot of the bridging of the digital divide can have some big impacts, you know, long term on a lot of the demographics of some of these areas as well. That's super interesting. And perhaps we can reflect a little bit more on that digital divide and kind of what we've seen about the influence of the pandemic over this period of time as well, but also looking beyond it and the trajectory ahead, how we tackle this head on. Yes. So I think what the pandemic has made visible to the public and to government entities as well is just how critical broadband connectivity is. And it has become a very personal subject. Everyone has an experience of what they had to go through but to the shutdowns and what have you. And so there's an awareness that if I don't have broadband connectivity, it's not just about getting entertainment. I may not be able to educate my children. Uh, I may not be able to work. I may not be able to get the health services that I need. So I think this really raised the visibility and, and therefore the expectations of subscribers that service providers are having to build services for. So as we're looking at expanding the the actual connectivity to get to communities that are unserved or underserved, I really think it's important to step back and say, what is the environment that we're building into? What are the subscriber expectations now that are probably different than they might have been two years ago? And to look more at the end-to-end connectivity requirements, not just the access, there's a lot of focus on on just the access, but the end-to-end connectivities, which includes some some capabilities in, in the core network infrastructure that have an impact upon latency and security and and lots of other functionality that impacts the subscriber experience. Fantastic. Some great examples there right across the board from kind of elevating really that connectivity to being not just a nice to have, but an absolute imperative for everybody, but also all the different aspects that underpin making that a reality and how things have changed. So great examples there, Terry. Thank you very much. 
And perhaps we can follow on from this in a bit more detail as well and kind of look at these different aspects that come to play. So you know, we've got mindset, haven't we? The approach to how we deal with things. We've got technology itself, and then how that comes together with different initiatives that can help bridge this digital divide. And we've seen quite a lot of work happening, but also going back to that theme of the invisible, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that makes a difference as well, particularly when it comes to network architecture. But it's absolutely pivotal, you know, a real imperative to actually enabling this type of change. So why don't we take a moment now to highlight that type of activity and the work you're doing to support that? Sure. So there's a couple of areas that my company, the A10, focuses on and has to do with uh, IP connectivity and security. And these are all capabilities that reside within the core network. And they're kind of needed irrespective of what kind of access technology is being used to actually you know, get to the subscriber. It's only a problem that you have once you can get access to the subscriber. So, of course, the build out of the fiber to the home or fixed wireless or whatever it is, you know, has to happen uh, to be able to bring that traffic in. But IP connectivity has to do with the IP4 versus IPv6 adoption within the core network. And as especially these smaller service providers are now having to really augment their capacity and you know, step up to serving a larger customer base, they have to kind of rethink in many ways how they have architected their network and, and how they're approaching the IP connectivity requirement. Every connected device has to have an IP address. And uh, IPv4 is the older protocol and IPv6 is the newer protocol. So larger service providers have kind of already dealt with this issue, but the smaller ones not happen necessarily. So that, so it's really an opportunity for them to not only add, extend their network to these underserved communities, but to upgrade their core network as well and to look at how they're going to approach IP connectivity uh, and what changes they might need to make. The other area that we focus on is, is security and security, the network, and in particular on DDoS protection. So these are things that smaller SPs that don't have the technical resources or necessarily the budget to add these kinds of capabilities into the network haven't had in the past. It's, it's really an opportunity to try to, to upgrade the network and to provide these new subscribers as well as their existing subscriber base a chance to really, to, as, you, as you mentioned, to, to leap forward. Fantastic. I love it. And I think that whole messaging, you know, narrative matters, doesn't it? And I think that that metaphor of the leap forward, not catch up is a really, really important one. And I think um, what you're bringing to the surface there can help really build some inspiration about how we can do things differently and about every part matters. You know, there's a real agency when you look at things in this detail, I think, and it really brings that bigger picture to the fore by focusing on those smaller components that make a difference and kind of build that contagion of change. So I love that. Really, really important to bring that to the surface. So thank you, Terry. And you mentioned there security is one of those two pillars of our discussion. And obviously, it's something expecting all of us, you know, at individual level, families, organizations, from SME right through to enterprise. You know, security at any size is an absolute imperative. We've got these threat areas, they're expanding, they're converging even. We're also seeing things around collaboration on the bad side of that, you know, bad actor collaboration, for example. And that has a knock-on effect, you know, around trust. And obviously, trust, if we don't have that, can be a real negation for, for progress in many different areas that can impact business, but also impact society as well. In fact, I would probably say security should be embedded in discussions on inclusion. Democratization to security is actually something that's a pillar of, of DEI, I would say, in many respects. So I'd love to get your view on what you're seeing in this dynamic landscape of security, but also you know, helping protection that can be afforded to people, how we can embed that better by design. What are the key considerations for you at A10 at the moment? Well, I think security has risen to the top of people's concerns. You know, cybersecurity has made the news a lot, you know, in the last couple of years, especially. There's been a huge 
uptick in cybersecurity incidents of all types, you know, due to the pandemic, because people are, you know, they're working at home. Many companies have had to quickly come up with some kind of architecture so they can accommodate their employees now that are no longer at the office. Schools have had to try to, you know, do learning from home. So that kind of change and people just scrambling that maybe haven't necessarily put security mechanisms in place has just provided an opportunity for cyber criminals to escalate their efforts. So seeing a huge increase in DDoS attacks, phishing attacks, fraudulent text messages, you know, all across the board, all this kind of standard ways that cyber attacks are conducted or have escalated because of the pandemic uh, and really, you know, weaponizing COVID-19 information and you know, really preying upon people's fears and taking advantage of that. So the cyber threat landscape has really escalated. And I think as a result, people are much more aware because they not probably have not only had a personal incident of some kind, they at least read about some one of the high profile incidents uh, in the paper. So I think the one problem that the kind of industry has is that because all these different technologies and the different types of industries, you know, wireless and fixed and are all very uh, siloed by technology, and they all really focus on how they can p- protect their particular piece of the whole infrastructure, how they, whether it's the equipment or a particular protocol that's relevant to that a part of the industry or that particular piece of equipment. But holistically, I think there needs to be a more look at how things work you know, end to end. I mean, cyber criminals don't worry about whether or not it's fixed or wireless <laughs> or whatever. You know, from their perspective, if you're building out, say, 23 million additional subscribers in the U.S., for example, that's just 23 million more potential victims. <laughs> they can try to add to the list, you know, uh, of the targets. So they kind of view it as being as this cyber highway, you know, that we've now enabled for them to uh, use very smoothly. And so, I think the threat is real. I think there needs to be a lot more industry collaboration that looks at the collective picture of cyber attacks because when you have so many different companies participating and providing different pieces of the puzzle, which is what they're doing to try to make it economically sensible, that also just raises more potential because there's just more players involved. And so it's harder for, for any one individual to take responsibility for the whole thing. So it's, it's that I think there's a larger kind of holistic issue that, that could be addressed you know, better than it's being addressed you know, right now. So it, in rural communities, these unconnected communities, in a lot of ways, are more vulnerable because they may have populations that are more elderly and less tech savvy. And plus they have critical infrastructure like hospitals or banks or or whatever. And that may be the only one for that community. So it may be like a small organization in the global view of things, but for that community, it's critical. And so I think that the criticality of that needs to be addressed more than at least what I'm reading about just in general in the industry. I think that's a great point. I love the realism that you brought to the fore there, but also that aspect that you're absolutely right. I think is very much underexplored. So shining a light on that is so, so important. Brilliant point, Terry. Thank you so much. And I'd like to kind of just draw the conversation a little bit to one of the other big themes of our time. And I think it's really resonating with more and more people at the moment. Uh, and that's around other aspects around technology where it can make a difference. For example, around sustainability. Um, I've recently been at COP26 and the Social Innovation Forum, for example, and a lot of talk around, you know, how we can close another gap. So around the SDGs 2030, I just love a little bit of insight, maybe, of what you're seeing in the space in this particular area. Well, I think that service providers in general, I mean, they've always been very aware of, you know, like power requirements, for example. I mean, because the equipment and infrastructure 
requires a lot of power. And so that's something that I think they've always worked on and try to get more and more power efficiency out of the equipment that they deploy into the, into the core network in particular, but also into whatever aspects you know, out on the edge that they're deploying as well, depending on the type of service providers. So so vendors, uh, vendors like us, you know, try very hard to be you know, very power efficient, uh, space efficient. And that's one of the things that you know, A10 particularly uh, focuses on so that we don't add a lot of power cost, but the power cost and the use of that power also you know, impacts the general sustainability needs as well. And the industry in general, I think, has been promoting applications and services that will help people, you know, like monitor the different applications so that those applications are more energy efficient, like, you know, agriculture and some uh, energy intensive industries to kind of know, you know, when to turn it on and when to turn it off. So I think there's a lot that the industry is doing, and I think they're very aware of the role that they need to play in supporting the sustainability objectives. I often think this space in particular, it's almost like the hub of the will, to use another another metaphor. I think, you know, a connectivity in, in its broadest terms and is there kind of conduit that can address many of the 17 SDGs, I think. It's right centre stage in terms of that enablement, particularly with developments around 5G, et cetera, as well. So I think you're absolutely right. I think the industry, we're seeing more collaboration, which is great. We're seeing good leadership from the GSMA as well. And we're kind of seeing that kind of sphere of influence, as I would probably phrase it, you know, for example, helping companies to do better um, application around smart technology, you know, reducing carbon emissions from energy intensive industries, for example, as well. It's, it's the enabler that can make that a reality and to do so at scale. So I think we're seeing great, great progress there. Obviously more to go, but it's great to see we're seeing people come together to help find better solutions to these critical challenges. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more there. And maybe we can now move to a different phase about what's changing. We talk about what's changed and what's to come, but maybe some practical examples of that, for example, around what we're seeing shifting to accommodate that. So we've explored some of the technology changes, but what are you seeing maybe from more, I mentioned collaboration there. So some of these ecosystem shifts and maybe business model changes we're seeing to adapt to this new world we're working in. Well, I think that the industry is much more open to different types of business models than, than when it has in, in the past. I mean, again, it's historically been fairly siloed. You know, you had your, your wireless and your wireline, and these are all kind of separate industries. Now they're kind of recognizing that for them to be able to really achieve goals of you know, broader connectivity, for example, the only thing that makes economic sense is, is more collaboration. So, I mean, there's a lot of kind of individual industry initiatives and there's a, a rural cloud initiatives, there's a rural broadband consortium, just a couple that I heard about in the US, where they're looking at sharing different parts of the infrastructure and take, trying to take advantage of utilities and try to you know, leverage all the capabilities that are there to, to enable you know, the full uh, connectivity. And I think there's some of the kind of non, non-traditional players like Google and Facebook, for example, are very much involved in the industry as well and trying to kind of solve this problem. So there's a much, there's, I think, a much broader, more openness to, you know, trying different types of arrangements and different type of models than, that, than I've seen in the past. I, and I know that we've worked with some companies that are some of the larger service providers that are basically providing managed services, security services and net, networking services to their smaller ISPs, you know, that are in the area. So this is, I think, you know, fairly new. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's what needs to happen to try to really bring you know, connectivity to all. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. In fact, for me, I think one of the biggest, you know, more positive takeaways that we can take away from the last kind of 18 months or so in terms of the pandemic is kind of people coming together 
We've seen the art of the possible through collaboration, you know, things like maybe the HPC Consortium, for example, where you know, some of the biggest tech companies in the world have partnered up with big educational institutions, citizen scientists, governments, local councils, etc., and have applied it to like messy problems like the pandemic, obviously. You couldn't have a more you know, pressing one than that. I think we can take that model to other challenges around digital divide and connectivity more broadly, around sustainability and other aspects as well. So I couldn't agree more of this. And a renewed openness, this ability to co-create and collaborate is absolutely the way forward. So uh, I think that's a, such an important point to stress. So great to hear you say that. Maybe as a final take now for our episode today, I'm going to go back like I did at the beginning about making it a little bit personal. I'm going to go back to a personal question again, if you don't mind, just going to bring it 360 full circle. But just love to know a bit more about your personal take, your aspiration about what we can achieve, you know, maybe looking ahead over this next year, you know, with this transition point at the moment, we've just had some major events like COP26. You've mentioned a number of industry collaborations as well. So we've got a lot of activity happening, a lot of coming together. You know, what do you believe we can do next? What do you hope we can do next to address some of these critical challenges of our time? One thing that strikes me in all my work with different types of service providers is how dedicated they are to the mission, to providing service to their customers. And this is especially true for these regional service providers that they kind of serve specific communities. They're very community oriented, often they're family run businesses. And so they have a sense of purpose and a sense of, of, of values of how important it is to serve that community that I would like to see maintained as, as, as this industry evolves, because I think the connectivity has the potential for changing a lot of the social uh, demographics, uh, people in urban areas moving to rural areas. Uh, for example. And I think extending broader connectivity to these unserved communities really has the potential, as you mentioned, for these communities to, to leap forward and not just catch up because the demographics, now people know that they can work from home more. I think there's more of a shift towards people in urban areas, maybe moving to more rural areas and changing the demographics of the community and what they expect and what they require. And so it's going to be, a, I do think, a different you know, population mix. So what I would like to see happen is kind of a balance of maintaining that community spirit and that community values uh, while still being able to provide the, the broader you know, connectivity you know, to the rest of the world. So I know that's kind of a, a high-level take, but I think that's really important. And personally, I really focus on helping people that are maybe kind of technology afraid to overcome that fear and really be able to take advantage of the tools uh, that are there. So I think there's a lot more not only in access, but in usability of the technology and affordability too. And that can make a huge difference in people's lives. And I like to see that, that I guess that correct balance between the, the technology and, and the personalization and the personal values, you know, continue uh, and grow in the future. What a key word there, balance. I, I couldn't agree more. And it goes back to that little statement I said about shared value, I think, doesn't it? What you, what you were alluding to there. And I love your aspiration. And I, there's nothing wrong with aiming high, in my opinion. I think it's absolutely the right way to go. That's how we can make things happen. So what a lovely way to end it. And I, I love, as I said, the way that we're kind of bringing three different pillars to the fore there around this role of connectivity, how these little component parts make a huge, 
huge difference. They're, they're that contagion of change and how we can come together to address challenges like the digital divide, like climate change, like trust and security, and how in many ways a lot of these things actually fit together and one, you know, addressing one can actually impact positively on another. There's a lot of interrelation going on here. So Terry, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives. It's fantastic to learn from you and all the great work that's happening at A10 and also the broader collaboration across the industry too. It's really great to see. Thank you, Sally. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.